On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we sit down with the one and only Evan Lazar from CLNS Media. We are talking wide receivers this week. We talked quarterbacks last week. We talked wide, we're talking wide receivers this week. Arguably the two most important positions uh, on the field for the Patriots in the upcoming season. And don't think we're going to go an episode without talking about the quarterback, too. It's a heck of a show, so buckle up and cue the music. Receivers two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has Pass. Wilson. Quick throw, and it's good. Evan, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. We're uh, we're excited to have you back. I know you're a you're a pulpit graduate, we could say, and uh, you know we always love having you on the show. Yeah, and you know I I always appreciate my pulpit days, and it was a great uh, stepping stone for me personally, and and just a great start in the industry in Boston. And uh, I miss the pulpit comments section. You know, you get, I always had so many comments on everything, like. So, you know, everybody does uh, great work over at the pulpit. I, I know I, I speak for everyone on the beat, I think, when we say that you guys are an underappreciated uh, machine uh, of this Patriots media cartel that we have going on here. And uh, it's always great, too, to you go to the pulpit, whether it's Ryan stuff or burn stuff or whatever, and it's positive, right? It's, it's like, it's not always so <laughs> negative. Like when you right. go on everybody else's, uh, you know, sites and I, myself included sometimes, and it's all doom and gloom. Brady just won the Super Bowl. What do we do with ourselves? You know, the pulpit's always a good place to go to say, Hey, you know, it'll get better. It, it can only get worse. It can only get better. It can't get worse. So the comment section is like Reddit. It's they, they are funny. And yeah, uh, they do a good job over there, but I appreciate it. That's that's like you said, pulpit grad. When, when were you there? Like four, four, five years ago? Yeah. So I I was actually writing for the pulpit in 2017. Uh, so when they lost to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's how I remember things. Is like what what happened that Patriots season. That's like how I can put a, a date on when I was somewhere or whatever. Now I, it'll be by who the quarterback was my, that year. My whole yeah, life. Exactly. My whole life is like that. I mean, my wife. Me too. Like, That's how I remember everything. My wife is like, how long ago did we get married? I'm like, well, we got married in 2008. And I remember that because we got engaged in 07 because we bought the condo. And the, and, and she's like, what? Like, what? What do you mean? And I'm like, what? what do you, That's what I do. My whole life is based around the Patriots. What do you want me to say? Yeah. A hundred percent same here with my family, with my girlfriend. I'm always like, well, that was the year that, you know, uh, Brady he did this and that. And that was the, the game. The next day I went to the game against Cleveland or whatever. And she's like, how do you remember all this? And I was like, because I just remember right. <laughs> the period schedule and I can line it up perfectly. It's, it makes it very easy for me. It's great. It's funny. You mentioned that I, I had just, I posted a, a video on Twitter uh, from 03 the Cleveland game at 03. It was like nine yeah. to three was the final score or something like that. And Ty law makes a pick at the end of the game. And I'm actually on the broadcast. I, um, I had gotten onto the sideline. I knew a guy who knew a guy and, and gotten onto the sideline, but I was like technically like working. And so I like, couldn't, I'm like losing my mind. Cause I'm, you know, here I am. What? Like 19 on the sideline standing next to the Patriots bench. Ty law makes the game ceiling interception. Like literally, feet from me and i just like have my hands in my pocket like oh yeah don't react don't react don't react but i'm like oh my god you can see me on the on the broadcast it's pretty cool uh just like that one little moment in time you know but it was, yeah uh, i was um when I was in the press box for the Rams Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53, I was sitting next to my good friend, Mike Petraglia in the press box, both of us being CLNS guys and Stefan Gilmore, right before his interception, he goes and he picks it off. I see Jared Goff arm punted towards Stefan Gilmore and I feel Trags' hand on the back of my shirt. 
pulling me down in my seat because I'm about to jump out of my seat and celebrate. <laughs> he just won the damn Super Bowl, and he's pulling me down because, you know, there's no cheering in the press right. box, obviously. Right. Oh, you get uh, big trouble for that one. He's yanking me down, and I'm like, what? We It's the Super Bowl of all times. And he's like, Evan, sit down. I'm like, all right, all right. I, I, I can catch my cool here. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely have some stories where I'm sure other people have heard me blurt out things in the press box before both good and bad right. <laughs> that uh, shows off my fandom just a little bit too much sometimes nothing wrong with that that's why we love you man so uh, let's let's get into it with um you know some patriots talk and kind of where they can go i think it's a it's a really important off season for them right i mean we saw last year kind of the product they put on the field at times for for Weeks, they looked like they were trending in the right direction. Then it's, you know, kind of that two steps forward or one step forward, two steps back. That's right. kind of what happened with them. And I think, you know, as the year went on, a lot of those holes that a lot of people had, you know, on their radar going into the season really got exposed down the stretch. And one of them being wide receiver. And I think one of the biggest head scratchers, even going into the year was, why didn't they invest in that in the draft? You know, free agency, they brought in, you know, Demir Bird and then, you know, Marquise Lee opts out. So they did you know, dabble in it, but you know, no sexy names, no sexy picks like the, the Nikhil Harry pick, which everyone was obviously so excited about being the first ever wide receiver taken in the first round the year prior. Um, that's kind of where our topic's going to be today. Uh, talking wide receivers, obviously we'll get into the quarterbacks, but to start off with the wide receivers, um, you know, there's so many different ways they can go at 15. I, I think there will be, you know, Jalen Waddle could be there at 15, Devontae Smith, like who knows how the board shakes out. Kyle Pitts, obviously, obviously a tight end, but I think he helps your passing game and that receiving room obviously get better. Um, are there some guys at that spot, uh, I guess, sticking with the draft right now that you have your eye on? Maybe not even at 15, maybe later on day two, early day two type of guy. Yeah, well, I think the question really is for a lot of people in this draft is there's there's those three guys, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, whoever you have as wide receiver one, you're going to be right, right? All three of these guys are pretty much equal in the same tier. It's really a personal preference sort of thing. And the one thing that I always try to prioritize when I'm looking at guys in the draft, specifically with wide receivers, is separation. I, that's what I want to see. I want to get the guy that can create the most natural separation for the quarterback because ultimately, yeah, it's great that Jamar Chase can put a guy on a poster. He can go up and he can catch a con contested ball. He can win body positioning down the field. He can box guys out. He can work the sideline. All that's all well and good, but you have to have a quarterback that's accurate and good with his timing and willing to put that ball on a platter for Jamar Chase to go and make a play on it. So that's basically saying, you know, a long way of saying that Jamar Chase is a type of player that I wouldn't necessarily want them to go for in the first round because I don't know who's throwing him the football yet. And, and I don't feel comfortable thinking, okay, is he going to be able to win all the time on those types of contested catches? So therefore the, the guy that I really think would just change the entire dynamic of the entire Patriots offense if they can get him in the first round is Jalen Waddle. You know, we're talking about a guy that I think is probably the closest thing to Tyree Kill since Tyree Kill became Tyree Kill, right? And in the draft, I mean, a three-level burner. And what I mean by that is it's somebody that you can, at the first level, you can use them on jet sweeps, end arounds, tap passes, uh, motion screens, things into the flats, get them the ball that way. Then you can get them at the intermediate or the second level, that 10 to 20 yard range on crossing routes and stick nods and uh, corner post-corner routes and, and things like that, that maybe you're attacking in the middle of the field or you're uh, you're trying to you know build compliments off of deep over routes and things like that. Then you can have them send them on a vertical route, right? And then you can have them run by the defense and win that way too. So a three-level burner, I don't think they've really had one of those guys before. You know, Randy Moss is kind of his own thing. I think Brandon Cooks is more of that straight line, vertical speed guy down the field. Jalen Waddle is a Tyree Kill. You can scheme him open in the middle of the field, in the short part of the field, and watch him catch and run with it. I think he changes the entire dynamic of the of the offense if they can get their hands on him. Now, 
there are like three guys that I would say fit that mold that are sort of pitted to go at different times of the draft. You have Jalen Waddle, who's kind of the top 10, top 15 version of that. Then you have Kadarius Toney, who's kind of like the first round pick version of that. And then you have Rondell Moore, who's probably going to sneak into the top 50, but he's got the injury history. But all three of those guys at some point in the first 50 picks are guys that I think change the complexion of what they're doing offensively. I like a lot of other guys too. Rashad Bateman, I think, is a really good, you know, kind of tactician. Uh, I think that if you're going to try to go for that type of player, it's sort of like an upgrade over a Jacoby Myers type. He's not a burner. He's not a natural kind of uh, vertical threat, but he's got such great route running skills and such great technique that he can create separation that way. Sort of like Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. Uh, I think that's sort of like an ideal kind of ceiling comparison for somebody like Rashad Bateman. Uh, those are the guys that I would look at, but I think ultimately uh, you said, you mentioned that the Patriots completely tr- punted on the 2020 draft at wide receiver. And it, it doesn't need to be a top 50 pick at that position. I just want to see them get somebody that they can develop at that spot, whether it's in the first round or it's in the fifth round. I mean, you know, Tyler Johnson, he went in the fifth round, right? Darnell Mooney went in the fifth round, Uh I think a guy you know that you could see go there is like a Jalen Darden, for instance, who's another speedster type of player. Maybe, maybe they like Taylor Wallace or they like Amari Rogers or one of those players that at that third, second, third round, maybe fourth round rate that, okay, you're not using another first round pick on a wide receiver because you just did a couple of years ago, but at least you're getting somebody that you can develop long-term and, and have some hope and have some enthusiasm about as a fan base. Right. I agree. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm high on Rogers. I think Rogers showed out at the, at the senior bowl. Um, I think it's, it's a fun little wrinkle that he's T Martin's kid. So he's like one of the Brady sixes kids. It's just fun, yeah. kind of funny. You know what I mean? Uh, it's too bad that it's too bad that Brady still doesn't play here. Cause that would be even funnier. But, um, but you know, I like shy Smith a little bit later. So, you know, there, there are definitely guys later. I agree with you. I think that, you know, it's a situation for me at 15. If you're sitting there at 15 and Waddle's still on the board, you're like sprinting to the podium. Like we sure. need to get this guy. He changes the complexion of the game. But like you said, it's interesting. It's an interesting look to kind of say, Hey, you don't have to draft the guy at 15, right? Maybe they trade back at 15. Maybe someone says, Oh my God, we need Jalen Waddle. We're going to give you a Sammy Watkins type deal to go up and get him." And then you say, okay, you're going to give us your first round pick next year. And we're only going to move back, what, 12, 13 picks? Like, sure. Okay, we could do that. You know, so I think it just depends on what's there and what's available and and them being smart and making, you know, making the right decision. But you definitely, they absolutely have to bring in some playmakers. I think through the draft, obviously, is important. And we're going to talk about, you know, free agency and even possibly, you know, if there's anyone in the trade market as well. Um but they absolutely have to bring in someone that they can develop at that position because completely whiffing on it last year or completely punting on it last year was just like, what the hell are you doing? It just didn't make any sense. Yeah, and, and we've said it for weeks, right? Like go one and one, draft one, like right. you said, kind of wherever, just get you know some youth, some depth there, and also go – I mean, it's a pretty good year to need wide receivers. I mean, look at the market. You don't see these guys hit the market that often. Obviously – you know, guys are going to, you know, the Allen Robinsons, they're going to demand high money. You know, how, how he's going from Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky to New England with no plan at quarterback. I think he probably wants a better guy delivering him the football. But whatever, we can put that pipe dream kind of out out the window. Like I said, I think going one and one, draft a guy er, pretty early on, you know, late day two, early day three, like you said, and go out and get a veteran pass catcher. Like I like to say, kind of like a Brandon LaFell type production, come in, catch 45 to 50 balls, competent receiver, somebody that can help you move the chains. You know, you're not looking at a, a top 10 wide receiver room in the league, but you're significantly better than last year and make whoever's playing quarterback's job a lot easier for next year. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And it's, it'd be very Patriots of them, though, to even if Jalen Waddle's there at 15, I don't know if they're going to love the value. And it would be really Patriots of them to wait on a guy and maybe pick their version of Jalen Waddle and like a Rondell Moore or a, or a, a Darden I mentioned as well. At some point in the in day two, maybe that's it. They feel a little bit more comfortable there. But you mentioned guy like a Brandon LaFell type, and and the person that I've been circling for a while, and he's a restricted free agent, so they're going to have to sign him to an offer sheet and hope that. Denver- I know where you're going. I, I read your stuff. Tim Patrick is. Yep. I think. 
that's Brandon LaFell, right? Yeah. He's the type of guy that is very unheralded right now. You know, I think he's really underrated in the league. They've made a lot of big moves at wide receiver in Denver, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. I don't know if they're going to pay him and match that contract because they're going to have to worry about paying Judy in a couple of years and paying Hamler in a couple of years. And those are two top 50 picks that they invested in both of those guys. It's a lot invested in the wide receiver positions and then, agree to sign uh, Tim Patrick to uh, match an offer sheet at $10.5 million from New England. I think that that's going to be big. And and he's a guy that because he's a restricted free agent, they can offer a very high number where Denver can't necessarily match it, but he's not going to have a ton of suitors, right? You mentioned Allen Robinson. Everybody's going to line up at the door for Allen Robinson when free agency opens, and he's going to have eight, nine, ten teams that are going to be calling him, all probably with better quarterback situations than the Patriots have. So that's probably not going to happen. The other guy that I would look at, though, in free agency is Corey Davis. Uh, They've had a knack or or sort of a, a routine of going after first round picks that maybe didn't work out with their first team, but were top 10, top 15 talents that they graded out in that draft thinking we don't normally pick up here. So we're not normally in the kind of category to get a Corey Davis type of player that goes, I think he went number six overall in his draft. He's also, I think he's a lot like Brandon LaFell too, but I think he's, you know, he's brand name Brandon LaFell, right? He, he's, right. he's a bigger version of Brandon LaFell that maybe he can go for in a thousand yard season here in New England as, as the number one X. That's the position, though, that I would really look for them to upgrade. I think Jacoby Myers is a nice piece if he's going to play the Z role or the slot role. I think they need that outside guy. They need that X receiver. I still think they need a speed guy, too. But if maybe you get a Tim Patrick or you get a Corey Davis in free agency, you keep Jacoby Myers around in the, for the slot role. Maybe you draft somebody like a Rondell Moore or Jalen Darden or one of these speedsters that they have in the draft on day two or early day three. And then you have something building there and and something that you can move forward with the restricted free agent market. Don't sleep on that as well. We can talk about some of the trade guys too. um, But I think that Tim Patrick is the perfect, they did this once with Chris Hogan. I think he's better than Chris Hogan, but it's definitely a, a way that they can go about selling a guy on coming here by giving him a big bag of money that nobody else is going to match and nobody else is going to really think to offer him because he is in that restricted territory. Well, and you talk, it's funny, you look at the restricted free agents and the first name that comes to my head is Emmanuel Sanders, right? They had an opportunity to outbid Pittsburgh on Emmanuel Sanders and they bid low thinking that Pittsburgh was up against the cap and Pittsburgh said, yeah, okay, we'll match that fine. And, you know, I think, I think they learned a little bit from that where, you know, hey, we need to go. If we're going to sign this guy, we need to, like, actually make a move to try to sign him. Um, and so, you know, of course, now we'll see what tender they put on him, right? He's an RFA, so yeah. it just depends. If they put a second-round tender on him, well, the Patriots may not be willing to do that, right? So I don't know if they will or not. Who knows, right? So that's obviously we don't know that. So, um, you know, we'll have to see where that shakes out. I think Patrick would be a great guy. Corey Davis is a guy that I've had circled for like 12 months, I had Corey Davis circled like this guy. And because for me, he's toasted, toasted Gilmore twice in, in games. And I feel like they go after guys that have success against them as well. And so I looked at it like this guy really hasn't done much outside of the two times he played the Patriots. And then of course he goes out and has a ridiculous year this year. They're actually throwing the ball, which is a little annoying. So he's going to be a lot more expensive than he would have been uh, had they just ignored him like they did the first three years of his career. But, um, you know, but I just, I look at it and say, Hey, like that's a good, a guy that's a good player. He's not the level of other players, but he's a good player that you're going to be able to get for a lot less. A guy that I've talked about a few times and I got just absolutely killed for it on Twitter for mentioning it is Juju. And, and here's the reason why. Okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Uh, Owen says, uh, Keelan Cole, which he's, uh, uh, I like Keelan Cole quite a bit as well. Uh, We're not bargain shopping anymore. Owen, come on. I I like Owen. I'm just messing with him. No, no. And, but Keelan Cole could be, you know, you sign two guys. One of them is Keelan Cole and one of them is Corey Davis or whoever else. Right. But Juju to me, here's the reason why Juju. Okay. He's 25 years old and his value, I don't think, is going to be any lower than it is right now. I mean, he caught almost 100 balls this year, but he was really the third receiver. He was, you know, he had a lot of issues going on. There was a lot of problems with him dancing on the whatever. Like, you know, 
off field stuff, which isn't to me, isn't really off field stuff to be, to be completely honest with you. I feel like it's kind of bogus that it's off field stuff, but that's going to drive his price down, I think. And so to be able to get a guy who has the talent that Juju has for a contract, that's not going to be as much as he would normally sign. I feel like is a good value for them. And the Patriots are always looking at value. So to me, that's why in my head, I was like, that could be a value guy. That's a little bit under the radar where it's like, Nobody wants to touch this guy because he's not this or he's not that. But like you could get him. He's still a good player and you could get him for a heck of a lot cheaper than you would have, you know, a year and a half ago. Yeah. You know, Juju's a guy that I think they respect too. the way that they guarded him in the past. They, they have shown him some respect. I think the issue that you have with Juju is, are you going to, he's obviously not Antonio Brown, but he, he's following down a little bit of a similar path in terms of the social media and the TikTok videos and all that kind of stuff. And that that's not going to fly here, right? So if he's going to sign here, he's going to have to agree that he's going to put the TikTok away for a little while, right? And that that's going to have to be something that they agree to if, he's, if they're going to give him money. But I think the thing with him or Corey Davis is, you know, those are the types of players that I could see us waking up on March 17th, similarly to how Stefan Gilmore signed here. And we see that Schefter tweet, the Patriots have agreed to a four-year contract with Corey Davis. And we're like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? Right. Because what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to come in super aggressive early on and offer somebody a whole lot of money because they don't have a quarterback that's going to allure free agency or attract free agents here. So maybe they can, you know, give Juju or give Corey Davis a couple million dollars more than everybody else aggressively when the market opens and actually get one of those guys to come here. Once they get one of those guys to come here, then the the dam is kind of broken, right? And then you can sort of attract some other guys to come along with it. So I think that that's what you are. What I'm waiting for is do we get to that point where we wake up uh, the first morning of free agency and on our phones is, you know, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport saying, boom, like, whoa, the Patriots have already made this huge free agent wide receiver signing like they did with Gilmore a few years ago. That That's what I'm waiting for to happen because they are not going to be able to get into a situation where it's a prolonged bidding war with a couple of other teams. And you're talking about, you know, the guys choosing between the Patriots and the Packers. It's like, well, where do you think he's going to go? Right. You know, this is not that hard of a decision. So uh, that I think they need to come in aggressively and hard on one of these guys with a huge offer and just make it an offer. He can't refuse. And and that's the way that you go about it. I was going to say too, like obviously money talks, right? I mean, these guys, that that's priority, especially some of these guys hit free agency once in their career, in their prime of their career. I just get worried at that position. Like you said, the, the quarterback situation, right? Like they, they, it's clear. Maybe they'll have it, you know, figured out by then. Maybe there's a wrinkle ready to fall that we're, you know, a, f- a few months down the road or a month down the road now, you know, this isn't even a question, but I just don't know how, intriguing of a place it is for a wide receiver where they come you don't see too too much success i mean obviously julian edelman's the the standard here right what he's done has been incredible but you don't see these guys come in and and have these years that they may would have elsewhere especially now with with no tom brady here so i guess kind of segueing into the quarterback situation too how do they go about this? This whole, like we said before, it's an in, it's a very important off season for them, both for the future and trying to compete and be better than they were last year. How do they get these guys in here, but also find a way to find a quarterback at least for twenty twenty one? It's a great question, and I think that that's that's the difference. Is like the reason why you go after like the Corey Davises of the world is because maybe he's not going to have the same market as Allen Robinson where there's going to be 10 teams lined up to sign the guy. And if he gets that huge offer from the Patriots, I I think it's going to be difficult to turn down all that money. Right. I really do. And I, I think that that's where you have to start is with those guys that, yeah, maybe you are slightly overpaying for the player, but that's what the reality of the situation that the Patriots are in right now, where they're going to have to be willing, especially with the amount of cap space that they have, they're going to have to be willing to overpay a little bit. I'm not saying you over, you pay double the amount for a guy, right? But you're going to have to overpay just a little bit to get him in here. Now with the quarterback situation, 
I put out yesterday that the door isn't closed on Cam Newton and everybody attacked me. And I, I, I totally understand that. I get it's frustrating. I get none of us want this to happen. We don't want it to go in this direction. But if we're going to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jimmy Garoppolo coming back and Jacoby Brissett coming back, then it's only fair that we also talk about the reality that Cam Newton is also a possibility in that in that tier. Unless they're going to go out there right now the veteran quarterback market is extremely high priced, extremely high priced in the trade market. The Eagles are kind of negotiating a, a trade right now for with the Colts and the Bears for Carson Wentz. That's going to be multiple picks back to Philadelphia for Carson Wentz. Probably not a one, but something like two twos and a four or two twos and a five. That something along those lines is probably what it's going to take to get a just Carson Wentz. You know, we're not even talking about what it took to get Matthew Stafford. We're not talking about what would happen if Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson become actually available. Those guys are going to be three or four first round picks without bringing a sweat. And, and I just don't see the Patriots going there. So the question is, if they're not going to go there and they're not going to go the route uh, of like a Fitzpatrick or a Jacoby or whatever, then the veteran option on the roster, it only kind of makes sense that it would be Cam, right? And I think then the question really is, is what do you do in the draft? And Cam can't be it. Right, you got if you, if he's coming back, you have to also get, pair him with somebody in the draft that is exciting. That, that that gives you something there that's not Jared Stidham. That's somebody that 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 they can really uh, hope can be a, a starter down the road. I, I don't know in this draft if there if that drop off exists because there is no Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round in this draft necessarily. Uh, maybe, maybe they really like Kellen Mond. I, I think that some people down in Mobile are really impressed with him, his his mental acumen, his ability to go up on the whiteboard and draw things up and and, and study the playbook and, and all that kind of stuff. Then he played really well in the game. So there, there is some momentum for a guy like a Kellen Mond, certainly. Um, we're going to talk about Mac Jones, you know, all off season. I don't know if it's going to happen. You know, I don't know if they're going to go Mac Jones at 15. It's not great value for, for that player at that position at that spot, but that's where you're going to have to take them if they're going to get them. So it's a, it's a difficult situation to be in. If you're not going to overpay for one of these veteran quarterbacks in a trade, where do you, what are you really left with at that point? If you're just trying to get the best sort of value money, trade asset situation going it's not a ton of options there uh, maybe marcus mariota maybe maybe a guy like it with mariota you flip a third or a fourth round pick from mariota maybe that makes a little bit of sense at least as somebody that has some upside behind a cam or with cam and then you got to battle it out in training camp amongst those guys we're not talking about a whole lot of exciting options though and i think the only really exciting option that i can sort of open the door to being a possibility is Dak Prescott. And that's only if, only if Dallas is dumb enough to let him go. So it's not a whole lot of options out there right now. That's yeah. And I, and I said too, like even at the end of the year, like, you know, I wouldn't hate them being patient at the position, trying to find the right guy. You know, this is a four or five, wherever you, you know, if you're higher on Mac Jones quarterback class and, you know, I, like you said, 15, they got to get better. They got to fill some holes. I don't know if that makes the most sense for him. If a guy like, you know, if they're high on Lance or, or they really like Mac Jones, I wouldn't hate them kind of rolling into next year. If the pieces around them improve, which we assume they will with the same quarterback room, spark some more competition between, you know, Stidham, a rookie who you bring in on day three, you know, make that job a lot easier with the guys on the outside you assume whoever plays quarterback next year, it'll be a lot easier than it was last year, especially factor in, you know, hopefully OTAs can go on mini camp, a normal, you know, preseason training camp, the joint practices, stuff like that, where they didn't have last year with a lot of turnover at some key spots, I think really affected them. So if they can get the same quarterback room in and, and everybody knows here how me and Pat have felt on Cam Newton since the signing, obviously, um, but I, I guess it's not the worst option considering the situation they're in. Assuming they can get some pieces around him or whoever plays quarterback, it'll it'll be a much easier job than it was last year. Well, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think it will be easier than it was last year. And uh, a lot of people in that building, Devin McCourty's come out and publicly talked about what 
tall of a mountain Cam Newton had to climb. You sign in July. There's no training camp. There's no preseason. Uh, there's not a whole lot of help around you. Wasn't a good situation to walk into. Do I think Cam is they're going to flip the weapons around and Cam's going to be a top 10 quarterback again? No. Uh, but I, I think that he can be more serviceable than he was last year, certainly with better supporting cast. Ultimately, though, I, they need to bring in somebody else that that excites me a little bit. On top so the book, of the book is closed on Stidham. Not, no chance for you? I only ask. Because we ask everybody here. We have to throw it out there, Evan. You know I, us. I, 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 it's fair question, and I, I feel like if the book was open on Stidham, then he had the door was wide open for him to yep. walk through it last year, right? And, and that's yep. the biggest problem is that he had all the opportunity in the world in training camp when we first got into training camp. That was an open competition. Brian Hoyer was in the competition too. Like that was an open competition for the starting quarterback job week one. They were splitting reps evenly amongst all three of the quarterbacks. Then it became the two quarterbacks, Cam and Stidham, and then it became just the Cam show, right? And, and it was an open quarterback competition. Then he struggles during the season at times with Cam, and, and then they get out of the playoff hunt with Cam at the end of the year, and they didn't want to turn it over for, to Jared Stidham for whatever reason. And you hear sort of the rumblings about the work ethic and the drive and the desire and the want to. I, I don't know how true all of that necessarily is, but you definitely hear those rumblings that Stidham is kind of – content being a backup NFL quarterback right Nothing now. Nothing wrong. Good gig. Good gig. It's, if a, you can get it's it. a pretty good gig, right? And he's going to make some money doing it. And he, he's already got his life sort of figured out, you know, and he doesn't necessarily need to be uh, – he doesn't have that mindset necessarily that he needs to be Tom Brady, right, where he needs to right. go on a 20-year tear and win seven Super Bowls. I, I don't know if he has that kind of psyche or that kind of makeup between the ears. And you – need that drive at that position. Even Cam Newton has that drive. You know, he hasn't had the success that Brady's had, certainly, but he still is one of those guys that was always like that, that was always relentless and hungry and driven. And I, I just don't know if Jared Stidham has that sort of makeup. Right. No, it's fascinating. And, and I think I think what's going to be interesting is that if at 15, somehow Justin Fields and or Trey Lance drops yeah. to 15, because I'm with you with the Mac Jones thing. Look, here's my take on Mac Jones. We talked to... Uh, Austin from PFF last week, and he, he made a great point. He said, "Look, you know, Mac Jones could be a good piece. He's Kirk Cousins, which is which is fine. There's nothing wrong with Kirk Cousins, but when you're trying to rebuild the roster and you have the weapons that you have, what the hell are you doing? Why are you drafting that guy at 15? It, it's not helping you. And so it's like, you know, if you get a guy like Trey Lance or you get a guy like Justin Fields, those guys might sit in 2021, but then they could be, you know, legitimate." top 10 talents in 2022 and beyond. And, and that's, that's what you're, that's what you're buying at 15. And maybe you miss, right? Maybe Trey Lance sucks and he's no good, but he has the, he has the tools to be a really good NFL quarterback. Now, whether that gets put all together, like who the heck knows, right? But that's, but you're buying that potential at 15 to say, Hey, let's just see what happens this year. And if, if we hit on him, Holy crap, we have the next Josh Allen, right? And if we miss on him, you know, then we look like idiots, but whatever, you know, and, and, and you know, we lose our fifth our you know, our 15 overall and whatever, but like, but we took a shot at it. And I think that that's the biggest thing. That's really what, we, you know, that's what we want. We want them to, to kind of take a shot at something and uh, you know, and, and have something more exciting than Mac Jones or Kirk cousins, or even Jimmy G who I like Jimmy G. And I've been saying for months that I think Jimmy G is going to be the quarterback next year, but he's a stopgap, right? He's a guy that's going to come in and, you know, play and yeah, okay, maybe you can run the system or whatever, but like, unless they get a significant amount of talent back in, you know, on the receiving core, it doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah. And, and Mac Jones is, I like Mac Jones. I, I think that he's got a good kind of, natural feel for the position like he, he he understands how to play quarterback he knows where his eyes are supposed to take him he knows where the decisions are supposed to be he's careful with the football he makes the throws that are available to him within the system but he is the definition of a system quarterback right he, he's the guy that is just going to kind of operate well within structure when the play breaks down when the pressure gets to him and not in terms of the pressure of the moment but the pressure of the defensive line or the defensive front 
that's when things start to break down for him. Now, when you start talking about Justin Fields and Trey Lance, now you're talking my my language a little bit more because Justin Fields, I think in a different draft goes 1-1. Like I think he's the number one pick in the draft in another year. I think Zach Wilson's probably up there for a number one pick status in another year too. I, I compared him to Baker Mayfield. I think they're pretty much the same player coming out. Just one went to Oklahoma and one went to BYU. Uh, the guy that Trey Lance, you mentioned, goes totally against everything that they believe in at that position, yeah. right? I was going to say, he's a one-year start, 16 starts. Like they, When you look at the quarterbacks they drafted, all like four-year guys, yeah. played at big-time schools, kind of sure. dealt with some adversity along the way with Mallet being a transfer, Stidham, you know, Brissett had, had adversity at NC State. Like, is that really – when looking Not at their enough. past history, it, it doesn't say Trey Lance. Not at all, but there's only so many people on the planet that can – throw a ball like Trey Lance yeah. he can yeah. move like Trey Lance and can run like Trey Lance. And he's one of those guys that you turn on the tape and they're running a slot fade to the field side. And he's putting it 60 yards on a dime for his slot receiver down the field. And then on the very next play, they're running read option and he's running over a guy for a 50 yard touchdown. Right. right. That, that's the type of player that you see on tape when you watch him and the, the comparison that gets thrown around a lot with him is Josh Allen, just because of the situation that he is in and the inaccuracy down the field. But the guy that he really reminds me more of is Dak Prescott. I, I think that he has that similar mold of Dak where Dak if, in college was not an accurate quarterback. And he really developed accuracy when he came to the NFL. And Lance is certainly somebody that I would qualify as, as a player that would need to sit and, and probably would sit for his rookie season here in new England. But I don't think the Chiefs have any reservations about sitting Patrick Mahomes' his rookie season with the way that that has worked out. So I don't think that's as big of an albatross anymore as it used to be. Trey Lance is an extremely talented player. I would love to have him here, but I think every single box that they have checked in the past, he is the opposite. FCS quarterback, one-year starting experience, inaccurate just not anything that they're normally used to uh, going after. Even a guy, you know, I'm pretty sure that the last four or five quarterbacks that they drafted have all been seniors and have all been multi-year starters, all guys that have had very long careers and very long pedigrees. Even Jimmy G at the level that he was at was a multi-year starter there and a guy that had came with a really good resume, a really solid college resume. Trey Lance is not that guy. He's a talent upside flyer that he's you're taking a lottery ticket that he's going to turn into a Josh Allen. Right. And, and right. maybe he does, and that would be great. <laughs> but uh, ultimately I don't know if that's going to be the type of guy that they go for. I'd be stunned if Justin Fields or Zach Wilson makes it anywhere close to 15. I think that a lot of those things that you see with the mock drafts or that are people just kind of looking for clicks on their mock yeah. drafts saying that Justin Fields falls outside the top 10 and their mock that that's a nice thing to say, but I, I don't see that realistically happening and certainly nothing on his tape suggests that he should be outside the top 10 he should be a slam dunk top five pick so i think that that's the guys that you're sort of talking about but i would be all for taking the chance on trey lance because there is the chance that he is patrick mahomes or that he is dak prescott or that he is josh allen and you do have to take those swings and misses sometimes when you're the patriots a team that doesn't have an obvious move to move for a veteran quarterback doesn't have a trade chip doesn't have a top five pick you know they had the matthew stafford trade they were had the fourth or fifth best offer on the table they weren't even close to getting matthew stafford so they, they don't have the assets so that's when you have to sort of take those swings at a guy like a Trey Lance, potentially, um, who's just a, a high upside lottery ticket that you hope that you can develop and you can hope you can work with. I also, and if one of those guys falls too, right? Like, not falls, but six, seven, eight, they're around, right? Like some of those teams like Miami, you know, Cincinnati, teams like that, even Detroit maybe with, with the move for golf, they seem that they're at least satisfied for the next few years with that. If they get to that range, you almost got to get get on the phone and at least see what the price is to get up, right? I mean, it, it's it going to be like that but... much. I think that there's sort of a, a narrative out there that it takes this RG3 type haul to move up in the draft. It really doesn't. You know, the Chiefs traded a their, their that year's first, a future first, and a third round pick to move up to draft Patrick Mahomes. Do you think the Chiefs missed that first round pick and that third right. round pick, right? You know, the, the Bills did a similar thing with Josh Allen. I think it was a first, a first, and the third for Josh Allen, too. And 
I'm sure that they don't regret it one bit in Buffalo making that move. So yeah, if they see Trey Lance and you're going to have a team like the 49ers, for instance, who I think ultimately will take a quarterback if one of those guys falls to, in their laps, if you're sitting in that spot and maybe Dallas, you know, has Dak Prescott back on the roster. So number 10 is up for sale or maybe Detroit or, or one of those teams that puts a, a first sale sign on their pick. If you're the Patriots and all you need to give up is a 2022 first and, and a third round pick in the future years for Justin Fields, then you just, you do it automatically. Yeah. In my opinion, I don't know if they would, uh, but that's definitely a move that I would be saying. If you want to, take everybody at face value. Mike Reese, Tom Curran, I have so much respect for those guys. They're saying super aggressive offseason, right? Uncharacteristically aggressive. That's uncharacteristically right. aggressive to trade up a uh, hall to trade up to draft one of those quarterbacks. And that might be the chance that they have to take in order to get somebody that's really going to move the needle at that position. Well, I think not only that, but you know, the NFL has changed a lot, you know, and I think Bill, has realized that, you know, Bill, I thought the Duggar pick was, was an uncharacteristic pick from him simply because of, of, you know, he's betting on the athleticism. Obviously you saw him at the senior bowl, but oh, the kid played D two and you're taking him in the second round and, you know, you're kind of taking a little, a little bit of a shot in the dark there. Yeah. You saw him for a week, but that was it. You know, Uche was a guy that, you know, doesn't necessarily fit the scheme that they run, but has a lot of athleticism. So like, you're taking guys that aren't necessarily what you would normally take, guys that you would normally be in on, because he understands that the game of football is changing. You can't win. Look around the NFL. How many guys like Tom Brady are playing quarterback at a high level in the NFL? Tom Brady. Like, that's it. Like, there's no guys that are in the pocket, not moving around, not using their legs, not using their athleticism that are top 10 quarterbacks. They don't exist because the game is different than what it was. Obviously, clearly, Brady is still, if not the best, one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL because he has all of the smarts and all of the, you know, everything, right? And he can move in the pocket so well. Yeah, he's not athletic at all, but he can move in the pocket so well. You're not drafting, you know, Mac Jones is going to come in here with that type of pocket presence. It's just not going to happen, you know? And it's not going to happen for multiple years. And you don't have time to sit around and wait for that to happen. And so, you know, I think where where the NFL is changing so much and they see that, that that change is happening. I I think when you look at it that way, to me, I think Lance isn't that far out of the picture. If he drops to 15, I don't know if they're going to trade up and get him. They could, I don't know if they're going to trade up and get a guy like that, but, but they certainly could, they might do it, but I, it would, it would surprise me to see them give up a ton of future assets to move up and draft a guy like that. But you know, if they address, I think, I think the question is, what happens in free agency, right? If they address the court, the, the wide receiver position multiple times in the, in free agency, I think maybe you do go and get a guy like that because you say, well, we got the wide receivers now. Now we need the quarterback. Right. And so, you know, they have to do something for the draft because obviously you can't rely on 15 being the only thing, but you know, if they bring in Jimmy G or they bring cam back or whatever, you know, and you say, well, we, we signed Corey Davis and Keelan Cole and, you know, whoever else. And it's like, okay, we brought these guys in. Now we need, we need the quarterback, you know? And so they say, hey, screw it. We'll give up next year's first round pick to go get that guy because we need the quarterback of the future now that we have the wide receivers, you know? Yeah, and I think the package that I've I've sort of sold myself on as being the best case scenario is Cam and Trey Lance because – Cam is old Trey Lance, right? Like that's like the, if you're going to learn from somebody, if you're Trey Lance about how to play the position, the way that Lance is going to have to play it, which is going to have to involve his legs at least a little bit. then there's nobody better to learn from, from then from Cam Newton. But if you're going to draft a Mac Jones, then bringing a guy like Cam back doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, they're totally, right. they're totally different quarterbacks. So that that's, if you're going to bring back a Mac Jones, then maybe Jimmy G does make some sense, right? Maybe that is the type of guy that you would go after in the veteran market market to pair with the quarterback position is one of those spots though and I've written this a bunch of times that you can no longer think small at quarterback and have it work out for you you go across the board on the last 10 teams to make it to the Super Bowl all of them just making it to the Super Bowl not even winning it have some sort of high-priced asset playing quarterback for them whether they paid the guy they traded for the guy they drafted the guy number one overall or in the top 10. You don't see teams make it to that spot. The only team that did it, and they did it with their top five quarterback 
or injured was the Philadelphia Eagles with Nick Foles, but they had Carson Wentz on their roster that carried them for 90% of that season. So the, the, the number one pick guys, you know, Jared Goff makes it to a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes makes it to a Super Bowl as a top 10 guy. Those are the guys that typically make it at that, at this level from now on, I don't think that you're going to be in a situation where you're going to be able to carry a Trent Dilfer to a Super Bowl anymore, right? Like, I, I just don't think that that's the day and age that we're in to this point. So all these conversations about Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world and, and that level of quarterback, I think, is a bridge to nowhere. I think we're literally going nowhere with those people because you are not going to win serious football games. You're not going to win the playoffs unless you have a really good quarterback. And, and that's just going to be the way of the league. And all these the other teams that aren't necessarily here and ready to win yet, like the Chargers, like the Bengals, they have that guy already, right? And eventually Justin Herbert's going to get some help. And eventually Joe Burrow might get some help. And those are going to be the guys that, that we're going to be talking about alongside Patrick Mahomes and Lamar and, and everybody else in that young quarterback kind of new era of, of guys that we're turning the league over to. It just doesn't happen anymore that you find a guy like a Drew Brees or like a Tom Brady or, or someone like that that's outside the first round and you have it work out so well that he makes a Super Bowl or wins a Super Bowl. It, it just I don't see the league going in that direction anymore. And I also don't see the league going in the direction of, you know, you talk about guys that carry a team to a Super Bowl versus a guy that kind of is a trailer, a guy that, that gets dragged to the Super Bowl by his offensive playmakers and by his defense. I don't know if those guys are going to win it at the Lombardi Trophy anymore either. And I mentioned Trent Dilfer as kind of a joke, but that, that guy got literally carried to a Super Bowl by right. everybody else on the other 52 guys on the roster. I don't know if that happens anymore. Does Brad Johnson happen anymore, right? Like, I, I just don't think that that happens in 2021. I mean, I agree with you, but counterpoint, Jimmy G played in the Super Bowl last year. So, like, Jimmy G was a guy that they paid and they traded right. a second round pick to get. Oh, so no, no. You're even right. He didn't play well, and even though he right. wasn't what they thought they were getting out of him, they still invested a lot in that quarterback asset, right? And they they didn't go about that position unaggressively, right? right. They didn't sit back and say, "Oh, you know, we're gonna we're we're gonna roll with." Uh, of course, the guy that 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 is uh, Justin uh, C.J. Beathard. You know, we're not yeah. we're not gonna roll with C.J. Beathard. We're gonna we're gonna get you know somebody in here that actually we think can be a franchise type of quarterback. Uh, now and the Niners also think that Kirk Cousins is a franchise quarterback. So I don't know if they're the best team to, <laughs> to judge off of uh, in this situation, but. That, that's the feeling that I get is that a lot of teams are recognizing, and this is why Carson Wentz and some of these other guys do have some value in the trade market. Matthew Stafford, the teams are recognizing that you either have that guy or you don't. And it's basically a one or a zero, right? You're either there or you're not. And if you're not, then you should be looking to be there. Yeah. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. So, all right. So we, we talked to, we talked to quarterbacks. We talked wide receivers. I think we did a good job in the draft. There are a few guys like Dwayne Eskridge. We didn't talk about, we didn't talk about Kate Johnson. There are some guys that, that can be later round targets that we didn't necessarily hit on, but I do want to move on to another position. It's a pass catching position, but not necessarily wide receiver tight end is a spot that, you know, I think the Patriots obviously historically have, you know, needed a good tight end bill obviously values the position, uh, you know, has spent multiple first round draft picks on tight ends, obviously drafted Gronk in the second round and Hernandez in the fourth round in the same draft in 2010. So he obviously understands the value of the position, which is strange that he waited so long to try to find Gronk's replacement and didn't try to find Gronk's replacement when Gronk was still on the team. I still think I love myself some Sony Michelle, but I still think that pick should have been um, the Dallas Goddard. I freaking loved Goddard coming out of school. I thought he would have been uh, the perfect fit with Gronk and then eventually take over Gronk's spot, which is what's happening this year with Zach Ertz, it seems like. And, you know, unfortunately, he just waited too long. And so he did move up and take Ossie, Ossie and Keen last year. Obviously, you know, no offseason. The, the, the transition from college tight end to pro tight end is arguably the hardest one on the field. Uh, it's just, it's just such a different position in college. Look at Hawkinson, his rookie it's, year. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, even Gronk is rookie year. He caught 10 touchdown passes, but he didn't do much his rookie year. Hernandez did, didn't do a ton his rookie year. So like 
I mean, Gronk's the best head in the history of the NFL, and he had a hard time. Travis Kelsey is a great example of a guy that really struggled at the beginning of his career and obviously now is, is a dominant player. So, you know, there are there are definitely some examples. They may not, we may not want to throw them out just yet. I think Asi Asi has some, um, you know, has some uh, talent and I think could be a guy that can be, you know, a, a playmaker on this team. We'll see. But where do you think they're going to go? Do you think they'll target a wide receiver, uh, a tight end, I'm sorry, in the draft or even in free agency this, this offseason? Well, I think it, what you mentioned about how slow of a learning curve it really is at that position, it makes it kind of feel like the best move for them would be to go with a veteran tight end in the free agent market. Even if it isn't Hunter Henry, who's probably going to be $10.5, $11 million a year or something like that, maybe they go after somebody like a John Smith or even like a Jared Cook or uh, Gerald Everett from the Los Angeles Rams, who's just going to come in and be a professional at that position. We're not going to be stuck with Matt Lacoste and Ryan Izzo taking tight end one snaps with Asiasi and Keane developing. I don't want to go on a complete rant about Dalton Keane, but that was – to me, one of the most perplexing decisions that Bill Belichick has made in the last couple of years in the draft, like even more so than like Nikhil Harry and Sony Michelle and some of the top picks that we all harp on, they traded up a pretty decent haul to draft Dalton Keene. And they're trying to convert him, I guess, into a traditional tight end. And he just isn't a traditional tight end. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what they saw with him to begin with. I, I projected him as somewhere in the fifth or the sixth round. And they gave up real capital to go up and get this guy in the third round. I mean, it was a real head-scratching move. What To me, what saves Dalton Keene's career with the Patriots, and I, I know it sounds like I'm already writing him off after his rookie season, but th- this is going back to his Virginia Tech days, which were unimpressive, to be honest with you. Uh, what saves him is if they move him into like a Kyle Juszczyk type of role, where they play him off the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Maybe they play him in the backfield at fullback or H-back or something like that. And that type of role, that sort of souped-up fullback, that gives them a little bit more as a pass catcher compared to like the old-school guys like a James Devlin or or something like that. Okay, I can talk myself into that. I think Devin Asiasi has really good upside as, as like kind of a high-end tight end too. And I'd really like to see them pair him with somebody that's a little bit more pro-ready right now to be able to do everything that they want them to be able to do. And then they can get it back into those 12 personnel packages that have been successful for them in the past when they have had two guys with Gronk and Hernandez or Gronk and Marty B or uh, whatever the case may be. So uh, the guy that I would look for in the draft, though, I I love Kyle Pitts and everybody loves Kyle Pitts. And he's similar to me uh, is Jalen Waddle, right, where if he's at 15, he can change the offense, right? He's a generational type of tight end talent, maybe the best tight end. I really like Hawkinson coming out, so I don't know if I'm going to say he's the best tight end that I've scouted because I I was really high on TJ Hawkinson too just because of the – you know, he was a guy that could do everything. You know, he could block, he could run routes, he could do it all. Pitts is Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, that 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 sort of archetype. But I think that they might really like Fryermuth. And that I think I would be okay with too if they wanted to somehow get back into the end of the first round or or maybe move up a little bit in the in the back half, uh, the front half of the second round, excuse me, and draft Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State. He's in my opinion, more their type, you know, and then somebody that can block, can put his hand in the dirt. He's a Massachusetts guy. Uh, He can put his hand in the dirt and block. He can run routes from a detached from the formation or in line. Somebody that can be a true traditional Y tight end in their, in their system. I don't know if they, Bill Belichick sometimes scoffs at the Kyle Pitts of the world. He, he looks at uh, Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller and he says, well, they're basically just wide receivers. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily a compliment. <laughs> like right. I, I think that he still is in that school of thinking that you want that Gronk, that Mark Bavaro, that put your hand in the dirt and be able to block somebody. And that's definitely not going to be Kyle Pitts at the NFL level. So it would be outside their norm to go with Kyle Pitts in the first round. Maybe they like a guy like Fryermuth. I think because they drafted Asiasi and Keen last year, guys like Brevin Jordan or Hunter Long from BC or Tommy Tremble, I know has a lot of support on Twitter from Notre Dame. I, I think those guys might not necessarily that's kind of the same thing for me right as Devin Asiasi and Dalton Gein you're kind of circling the wagons at that point so I think that the best case scenario for them would be somebody in the free agency that can come in here and hold down that position while they develop a guy like Asiasi and uh, ultimately I, I don't know if they'll pay for Hunter Henry 
and I don't even know if it makes sense to pay for Hunter Henry. So may, maybe right. they, they go with somebody like a Johnny Smith or a Gerald Everett, or maybe they can pull off a trade for Zach Ertz that makes sense. That's not for a ton of money or a ton of uh, draft capital, excuse me. Um, maybe something like that would make sense for them. Yeah. And everyone harps on the wide receivers, right? But it's hard to get anything out of your wide receivers when you have nothing in, in the passing game up from your tight ends, right? Like it, it doesn't make their job any easier. And they haven't had that really since Gronk left. Even that you, you saw wrinkles of it, you know, that last year, even the stretch run, um, you know, when they beat the Rams for the Super Bowl. So, I mean, yeah, that that's that's a high priority for them. I like, you know, Gerald Everett, you know, a John U. Smith. Obviously, Hunter Henry's going to, you know, demand the market. He's going to get the most money. And I'm sure all the dominoes will fall after he signs somewhere. But, yeah, I mean that that's an interesting spot. It's somewhere that they'll need to upgrade. And I like, you know, like you said, bring in a veteran, a pass catcher, somebody that's a like a reliable tight end, somebody that you can respect defensively, while also trying to develop Devin Asiasi and figure out a role for Dalton Keene. Right. Yeah. Well, Spags, you it's funny, Evan mentions Dalton Keene, and you know, longtime listeners will remember, you know, we do we do an instant reaction pod to every draft pick, right? And so Third round, it looks like okay, they're almost done. They got one more pick left. Fine, you know, know this guy. <laughs> late night, and where do we? We loved Adam Trotman. Like yeah. I, I was like this way. We have to draft this guy. So they trade up. They draft a tight end, and and we get on our instant reaction. Like, well, they traded up to draft a tight end, and it wasn't freaking Adam Trotman. It was Devin Asiasi. And then they trade up again to draft another tight end, and we're like, yeah, this is it. And they're like. Dalton Keene, and we're like, are you freaking kidding me? It was just like, I just remember doing that one. Like, well, they traded up again for another tight end, and it still wasn't Trotman. And it's like, what the hell? I think Trotman ended up going like the fifth round, didn't he? Which was fourth, I think, to the Saints. Was it the yeah, fourth? So they, 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 the Patriots started to run him at tight, tight end with Devin Asiasi in the draft. And Asiasi, Josiah Degura, Dalton Keene, obviously, Adam Trotman, all those guys went in a 50-pick span right oh, okay. between the oh, third okay. and the fourth round. And the Dalton Keene one is still, to me, to this day, I cannot figure out what they I thought they him. saw in him. He, I think that they really got caught up in what they heard from the Virginia Tech people about this aura of this Rambo guy that this was, you know, had the long hair, looked like right. Rambo, worked out like Rambo, and, and was a big-time blocker for them down there at Virginia Tech and really good with the ball in his hands and, and could do stuff after the catch as well. But he just lacks so much kind of just skill and, and, and explosiveness to really do anything as a route runner right now that would really offer any sort of optimism about his outlook as a regular tight end. Now, like I said, if they're going to move him to fullback, then, then I can understand the, the decision a little bit more. I still don't love drafting a fullback in the third round, but at least, you know, I, I can see, a, a, I can project a, a situation where Dalton Keene is a serviceable player, a useful player for them. But the fact that they gave up assets to move up and they gave up real draft capital to draft him. And then in that period of time between the Dalton Keene pick, and I believe Justin Rohrwasser was the next pick that they made in the draft in that period of time, there was a lot of really good football players that went off the board that are now playing very well for other teams. And I know we do this all the time. This kind of like, you know, we look back and, and it's nice to see in hindsight what would have worked out and what didn't, but in the in real time, I, I, I think I gave that, that an F in my, I graded the draft afterwards and I said, F, you know, this was a yeah. bad pick. And uh, it, so far, I've, I've been proved right. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but so far, at least, it, it's, it's been a perplexing head scratcher, just like I thought it would be. Yeah, it's just, you know, and it's frustrating. And listen, I, I think, and this is, I don't want to even touch this rabbit hole because we could talk about it for hours. But I think, you know, there's been a lot of criticism about Bill Belichick recently, um, you know, and I think some of it on this side of it is justified where you look at the wide receiver position and you look at the tight end position and you say like, there's a, a legitimate criticism in the fact that you didn't, you didn't go after this position when you should have. And when you did, you took the wrong guy. You took the wrong guy when you kill Harry and you kill Harry. Like we may not write him off yet, but there is a 0% chance that he is ever a better pro than AJ Brown and DK Mech. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. And so, like, you know, unless those two guys die in a car accident tomorrow, like, he's never going to be at a better pro than those two guys. So, you know, that's a situation where you say you took the wrong guy. You just flat out, you took the wrong guy. 
maybe he ends up being okay, but you know, you missed Dalton Keene. You just, you, what the hell are you doing? You took the wrong guy. You know, you waited too long in the tight end position. So there's some legitimate criticism there when you can start to say, and look, I think there's no doubt about it. And I've been talking to people about this, you know, you, you go back to, to the second, you know, obviously they str- struggled. They didn't win a Super Bowl between 04 and 2014, right? But the 2014 team wasn't built in 2014. It started in 2011 and 2012. You know, 2012, they dra- they move up twice and they take Hightower and Chandler Jones. And that's kind of the catalyst of that second, you know, that se- they draft McCordy in 2010. So that's the catalyst of, you know, that second dynasty where you have all of these good players that you've drafted. Now we're in a situation where, you know, you've had, you've drafted some good players in the last few, in the last few years, but you don't have those core great players that you had, you know, in the first, in the first or in the second dynasty. And that's really the issue that we're at right now. And of course, like I said, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we're not, we're not going to touch right now. That's what I call them. They need blue chippers, right? They need those guys that when teams look at their, they turn the page on Tuesday to their next opponent. Who's, who are they circling right now on the Patriots offense is like, we got to stop this guy in the passing game, right? They don't have that guy right now. And maybe it's Jacoby Myers, which is not a good thing, right? That's not a good thing. So they need that type of blue chip talent that, that makes defensive coordinators have sleepless nights before they play them right now. They don't have enough of those guys on both sides of the ball. It's, it's not just offense, but especially on offense, they just have nobody that that puts any sort of fear into the defense whatsoever, especially through the air. I mean, I guess you can convince yourself that Damian Harris is somebody in the running game as a whole is something that, that people need to worry about, but in the passing game, nobody's losing any sleep playing the Patriots right now. Right. Agreed. Well, they got uh, they got a lot of assets and they got a lot of caps room. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll change going into next year. But we'll see what happens. So, Evan, thank you so much, man, for coming on. We really appreciate it. We love having you. It's always a great conversation. You're so knowledgeable. Um, but before you leave, just, you know, plug yourself, tell everyone where they can see you and read you and hear you and everything else. Sure. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. And you can read me at clnsmedia.com. Our YouTube channel is Patriots Press Pass. We do a lot of podcasts just like this, actually. And uh, we talk about everything that you want to talk about with the Patriots right now. And um, follow me on Twitter at Easy Lazar. That's where you can pretty much find all of it in one place. So Easy Lazar on Twitter is is sort of the uh, one spot to go to and everything is up there. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate it, man. No problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.